welcome everyone out there in the universe, in the uh, interwebs, to the broadcast. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined this fine Thursday afternoon by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? It is kind of a fine afternoon. It I is. went outside today. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful <laughs> yes. day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. We all should be very thankful about the things we have. We should be. Just wanted to start it off with that. We're okay. not. We're not, but we should be. No, no one ever is, but everyone should be. No, you're only thankful. You're only thankful for them when you know they're no longer there to be thanked. You're um, a coffee drink, coffee drinker, right? Yes. So I couldn't drink coffee for most of my adult life because I, I had what was diagnosed as an irregular heartbeat, I guess. And then I had a number of tests, a lot of tests probably 10 years ago. And my car, new cardiologist said, ah, you're fine. I go, oh, really? Yeah. And he goes, I go, I still can't drink coffee. And he's all, no, you can drink coffee. So now I am kind of a little bit of a coffee-aholic. Yeah. And, but having not drank it my whole life, Coffee not only gives you energy, coffee really makes you happy. It does. We've talked about this, I think. It makes you happy. You just, it's its a drug. It definitely gives you a slightly better outlook on life. Yeah, no, it's a, its just a full-on drug. Like, it's, yeah. it's, I'm sure, like, it's, you know, like most drugs, you take a little bit of it, and you're like, ah, oh, this is really great. And then you, you get slowly addicted to more and more yeah. and more and more. Yeah. Like, now I drink, like, three cups of coffee a day. That's do probably you? too much. Probably and, too and much. Do you sleep well? Yeah, I sleep fine. Okay. If you didn't have those three cups of coffee, could you get out of bed? Great question. I haven't Tr- tested it. Oh, come on. We need it. So I'm, I'm at such a coffee addiction level that I begin to get the, cough, the caffeine withdrawal headache by like uh, noon. If you haven't had your yeah no like normal people cup? they can normal people who drink like a coffee a day you can probably go a day or two without feeling like uh I I can go about four hours mm. yeah if I don't if I don't have so I have a half caffeine in the morning half caffeine at night that because I don't want to go down the Dave Woods addicted road mm-hmm. but if I don't have that second one in the afternoon I am yawning from one o'clock to all, the rest of the day yeah. I yeah. can't even function. Yeah, it's great. Okay, yeah, I know. Everyone, I'm sure, relates to us. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. My daughter, my daughter, which is funny, she went all through college without coffee. Coffee, and I'm sure you know this because you're such a damn know-it-all. Coffee for her does not have the same reaction. Yeah, that'll it, happen to some people. It does, it does the opposite. So now yeah. that she's in medical school, it's starting to work. And she's very, very, very thankful. Oh, but she's made herself the, tired enough that it's begun to work. That's great. I think she made herself tired before too, but it never worked. It was it was strange. Well, yeah, real trick for everyone. Real trick, real real thing for everyone out there. Um, if you ever need to take a power nap, like a real power nap, like twenty minutes, thirty minutes, drink a cup of coffee and then take your nap. That'll do it. And when you wake up, you will feel refreshed. The, that'll that's the only way a twenty or thirty minute nap ever works. Would you say that you might not be able to nap for 30 minutes if you just had a cup of coffee? No, 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 because it takes a while for the effect to come in. But when it does come in, it then wakes you up from yeah, that see, 20 or 30 I'm, minutes. I am now so conditioned that as soon as I take a sip of coffee, I have more energy and I feel better. Well, that's just <laughs> psychosomatic. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. And how am I getting around that, Dave? I Tell don't me know. How to get around uh, power okay. of positive thinking? Something like that. All right. We're four minutes in. Haven't mentioned the, uh, the, the acronym that we uh, so dearly I think love. People like us talking about just our everyday stuff more. Uh, I think there's a firm difference of opinion on that um, on our <laughs> message board. I think there's a significant number of people who want to murder us right now. Um, UCLA. UCLA is in the middle of now both of its major uh, sports seasons. Uh, football and It's a busy basketball. time. Busy, 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 busy time. Busy, busy, busy uh, here in our neck of the woods. Uh, football has two scheduled games remaining on the season. Basketball has completed two games of its schedule. Um, so clearly uh, very fun times in both. Uh, we want to start with football um, because they've got uh, – well, I mean, we could really start with either because they both have games coming up. That's the way this thing works. But we're going to start with football because I mentioned them first. Football. Um, football. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just going to throw this out there. UCLA, if they weren't an absolute catastrophe of turnover machine work in like three games this year, should be 4-0. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that's even really too questionable. I mean, for what? Maybe ten minutes worth of play, they'd be four and zero. Yeah, something I like got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. You know, I was just talking to my friend about this too, and this is really interesting, and it prepared me for this. You can easily have two two schools of thought. You can say they clearly are an improved team. They look very good. They're ten minutes away from being four and zero. On the other hand. Their two wins so far were against two teams that are turning out to prove out to be pretty bad. They they played an Oregon team tough, and that Oregon team does not look tough. And Colorado doesn't look too bad. So on one hand, you're still in that category that it's kind of unproven, while on the other hand, you're saying they look really good. I think we will know in the next two weeks. I don't necessarily think ASU or USC are that good. But if they beat them, I'll say UCLA is pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a little bit further on the UCLA is already pretty good. Um, Wait, we're, look we're, at you, look at you. Well, this is so amazing. You I, do your thing. Look, you do your thing every year, where you get really optimistic and you become a fan, and you're doing it for Chip. No, 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 no. Yes, you no, are. That's yes, how you it's are. going yes, on. I, I am I am just trusting what my eyes tell me, and my <laughs> eyes tell me that this is. Uh, it's and somewhat suddenly a pretty good football team. Now, oh I don't think that necessarily, and this is where I think uh, your your uh, notorious poll comes in. Um, I don't necessarily How notorious think, was that poll. Oh man! Okay. Whew, whew, wow! Caused some consternation on our message board. People were arguing about the word bandwagon. Yeah, I mean that set people up. Wow! Your infamous okay. poll. Yeah. Um, but yeah. this one, uh, so I think. I, I, I'm holding two thoughts in my mind, which is I think UCLA is pretty good right now, and I'm still pretty much out on Chip Kelly being successful at UCLA. Now, wow, okay. those two things may prove very discordant if they finish the year with, say, three straight wins in the you know as yet scheduled seventh game, and they end up five and two and looking like you know whatever the best team in the Pac-12 or something like that. Um, but aren't you discordant, Dave? Isn't that's that what kind I do. of what it's, you are? It, it's yeah. what I do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think as of now, because I, so I, we said going into the Oregon game, or at least I said in the preview that if 
they walked out of that one, you know, looking pretty good, you know, that sort of thing, that that would change kind of my opinion. And it did to an extent. I agree with you that um, the games that we, the teams that we've seen so far, I don't think there's a flawless team in the bunch. I think Oregon is probably the best of them. Colorado, I think, is decent. Um, and I think Arizona and Cal are both very bad. Um, but if you look at the broad Pac-12, I don't think anyone is very good. I don't think Washington is very good. Um, I think you could make an argument for one of, I think, five teams being the best team in the league right now um, between sure. Washington, between Oregon State, between USC, and between UCLA. Like, who's playing the best football right now? It's, it's I mean, it's a wide swath of, of the of the playing field in the Pac-12. So I guess what I'm saying is going into these next two games, I don't see ASU or USC as potential um, – either world beaters or really good bellwethers because, I mean, ASU, we've seen one game, no idea if they're good or not. None. Because USC also started the year playing horribly, and I don't know how much better they've gotten. Um, But neither of those two teams looked great in the opener, and USC has gone on to look not great in the course of their current undefeated campaign. So um, I think it's it's, you got to look at body of work for UCLA right now and defensive scheme – and offensive run scheme, um, they look good. And uh, I've always been more of a scheme guy than a, you need to recruit a ton of dudes. And Chip Kelly has very much tested that. But um, <laughs> it's you know it looks it looks good. It looks fun to watch. And that's really my minimum standard at this point. So I'll say they're pretty good already. Okay, so I'm kind of on board with you, but I guess where kind of where I am is. I'm torn, like I said. There's, there, I have a dichotomy going on. I'm dichotomous, Dave. And um, if they beat issue, great, good. I'm a little bit more convinced. To me, they got to beat SC, and it's not because it's SC. It's because what what I'm trying to determine here is if there is really good coaching going on right now. Um, if these schemes really are really good, are they using the players to optimize, you know, their talent? And that will bear out against USC because USC is more talented than UCLA. They're just not really coached very well. So if by remember that first game when Chip Kelly beat USC two years ago, that's the feeling you came away with is that SC is more talented, but UCLA beat them because they Chip Kelly was a step ahead of them. That's what I want to see for me to come away from this season saying the program's definitely feeling like it's on the better track um like the article i just wrote right now which i'm sure will cause more controversy because everyone is really really touchy right now but what i took away also from that poll was you know there's a group of people who are supportive of chip kelly and and honestly i gotta say a lot of people that did contact me after that said wow i'm impressed that that many ucla fans are are on board with Chip Kelly after two losing seasons. That says a lot about the UCLA fan base. And I got to admit, I, I agree. If I ever hear again that something about negative about the UCLA fan base, I'm just going to kind of get really pissed. But like I wrote in that article, what it really comes down to is, okay, let's say you do have two good schemes now. You've got good coaching. That can only 
and you have to admit this even though you're a scheme guy, that can still only take you so far. You still need the Jimmys and Joes to really beat good teams consistently over the course of years. He is going to have to, let's say the schemes are intact and they're good and we've proven it. They out-scheme SC, they go to a bowl game, win that. They still need to recruit better. Oh, yeah. And and the, the thing is here, you could see, if you just really think about it on a simplistic level, that, well, what's going to change? They could get worse in recruiting because now they feel validated that their approach is working. It's it's human nature and especially coaches' can, nature that can, can that they wa- get worse in recruiting than their current uh, oh yeah recruiting? oh yeah and I'm telling I'm telling you how they validate their way that their approach worked um, and they don't question it that much and then secondly as it is with coaches when um, coaches they they want to recruit the least amount possible when they are now getting interest from players that they weren't before that could tend to make them recruit less. So that is, those are two major concerns. But then on the other hand, winning is everything in recruiting. If you have a winning program, you know, that, that is the number one determining factor in recruiting success. Uh, And then secondly, you know, I think there's kind of a, been a rationalization going on here with UCLA recruiting within the program. Like, uh, we're not going to go after that four or five star guy because he's only a three point one and he's not going to get through academics. But I, and you know he's probably not that. I think in their mind they knew said guy was not that interested in that, right? Right. If that guy now shows them a lot of interest, he will suddenly be a UCLA guy that they will offer where they wouldn't have offered a year ago because they would have recognized that would take a crap load of recruiting effort. Whereas now this guy's come at them and showing interest, it's a lot easier to recruit. I've seen this happen a lot. So if they win and they show that they're playing better, how long? Here's a good question: Do you? How long is the impact? Does it help them for February signing day? Does it help them the next recruiting cycle? And everything's kind of a little funky because of the extended dead period. I think in today's recruiting world. Um... The thing is, you always are going to have to marry energy to the winning. I don't think energy in recruiting is like one of the prereqs. I don't think there's a sit around and just let them come anymore. I think that was more the case, you know, even in early Mora era, maybe. Uh, But now there's just so much effort and so much energy put into recruiting by so many staffs across the country that are also winning that to get that level of recruit that you might actually need to raise the talent level, you're going to need to put in that energy regardless. So I don't, I don't think it's the kind of thing where just winning alone is going to bump this up or winning in primary is going to bump this up. At the fundamental level, it requires that level of energy that they just haven't put in from the jump. Um, whatever different changes there have been you know, here and there, I think that the through line forever has been uh, yeah, you know, UCLA, they're recruiting me, you know, pretty hard. But, ne- like, how how often do you hear, UCLA is on me the hardest still to this day? And I think that's the thing where they're still going to have to see some change if they're ever going to take advantage of what is still a theoretical winning season. They are 2-2 two and two right now. They've got the two maybe best teams on their schedule coming up in ASU and USC, 
I mean, previewing my preview, it's going to come out. I do pick UCLA to beat ASU, but I predict it as a three-point win. Like, this is not, I mean, this is a game where ASU is actually favored. USC okay, will be favored. Okay, let's get ahead of ourselves. Would you pick UCLA to beat SC right now? It, right now, if the game were played this weekend, yes. Um, okay, there you go. Not We have been so, and I think deservedly so, we've been very critical of the program because, come on, 7-17. But now it's time to get a, you know, there's been a little bit of positivity here. Yeah, yeah. okay, we're, we're banking the two wins and speculating about it, but isn't that a little fun for most people, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, but okay. I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, if we're talking about future projections, that's where it gets, it all gets very wonky. I'm looking at it, and this is maybe the, the true way of describing the two thoughts I'm holding within my head at the same time, which is, one, mm-hmm. this season alone may end up successful, Right. It may end up five and two like that could happen depending on who UCLA gets in that seventh game or if they get to play all seven games or whatever it is. They could very well. I mean, this team is surging right now, and I really like the way they're playing on both sides of the ball. Is that by necessity a harbinger for what's to come? Is it by necessity something that's going to dictate future success? That's where I'm kind of out on it because I'm not seeing it linking to recruiting. I, I don't I'm not following that path perfectly because they haven't yet shown the energy to do this and I think a lot of people are drawing conclusions based off of what these grad transfers have done this cycle Quantrez Knight Britton Brown Caleb Johnson Paul Gratton the the whole group and saying well maybe they can just use that and go that route and I'm like well I don't think that's necessarily a consistent route to take I think it's certainly a way to supplement a roster but there's only so many cycles you can go spackling things over with grad transfers um and Um, i just yeah i i I, i'm skeptical of that as a strategy i think at the fundamental end of the day they have to continue to pick up the energy in recruiting if they're going to make this successful even off the back of a five and two season this year see that's interesting because what i'm saying is kind of not consistent I, i don't uh, I don't think recruiting coaches change their spots much. They are what they are. I, I've never, in my experience of being around coaches, I've never seen one not be a ver- really active recruiter and then suddenly turn into an active recruiter. But I do believe UCLA has the potential when UCLA's winning to generate enough recruiting attention now to to really recruit well. I've seen it. I've seen some pretty bad recruiting staffs at UCLA and you and usually come with a top 15 recruiting class and it wasn't because they were good recruiters. Um, it can happen. Now, to completely optimize all that momentum and good feeling, would it be great to have a really active, aggressive recruiting staff? Absolutely. But I don't think UCLA necessarily needs to recruit at that kind of energy level. I mean, our most recent reference is the Mora staff. There were a couple. There were a few good recruiters on that staff, and then there were a few that weren't. I would not grade that as a great. Everyone's blowing this up that Mora was Mario Cristobal that he recruited the hell out of it. And, and compared ask, compared compared to Chip Kelly, he's friggin' yes. Nick Saban in recruiting. Yes, but um, if you if we got our boy Brandon Huffman on this call right now, and he was honest about it he would tell you there were a lot of people on that staff that weren't great recruiters, well, and I, um, what but I they was, still recruited pretty well. What I would say about that staff is year one, I thought was the most energy they put into recruiting. Um, that was, you know, Demetrius Martin basically posting up in Ellis McCarthy's, you know, 
living room for hours to get him. You know, like the whole thing. Like they came in with a ton of energy. And then that carried over to the 2013 cycle. Um, that was where Clem picked up like eight offensive linemen, all of whom were four stars. Um, and then it kind of dissipated after that. I think they all got burned out. I think it was kind of a flash in the pan. I don't think the the, the uh, a book could be written about the culture of that coaching staff. Um, but and and a couple of thousand people would read it. <laughs> yeah, but they would they would eat that up. Um, but they did they did have it for basically a couple of years, and the results were there. You know that 2012 class was great on short notice, and then the 2013 class was one of the best UCLA classes you know, from a ranking standpoint, at least, in forever. Um, I, I think in modern recruiting, you do, like, to truly get, like, elite-level talent, maybe that's where we're differing on what we're talking about. Um, like, because if the minimum standard is just, Chip Kelly, could you please just pull in a top 25 class? Then, yeah, I think they might be able to do that with just increased interest from LA area guys or whatever who are like, hey, UCLA is an option again now. I don't have to go to Arizona State or whatever. Um, but if the goal, and I think this should be the goal because it's UCLA and you can do this, if the goal is to consistently recruit at a top 10 or top 15 level, you got to have the energy. Like, Mora wasn't doing that for much of the last four years there because they lost the energy. Um, it wasn't like 2014 was a bad year, but that recruiting class kind of stunk uh, relative to the first two ones, and I think it spoke to a lack of energy. Um, so I, I think you'd very much do, and again, this is more of a, I think it's, especially in the last five years with all this like social media presence that these kids are getting all the time from all of these coaches and these staffs that are just sending out these crazy edits and all this crap that's just flooding the airways and, you know, basically recruiting these people like they're, I don't know, medieval suitors trying to woo somebody. Um, It's just, (laughs) uh, I, I think it's a completely different game than even what it was when Mora was starting. Because um, I think back then it was, hey, Clem was texting dudes a bunch, and I think that really played a big role. But now it's, um, you know, a whole different avenue of things, and I think it requires a lot of energy. I think it requires a ton of communication, and I just don't think this staff has done it and uh, is necessarily super capable of doing it. So that's why I, I'm still out on yeah. on that, because I think even recruiting at like a – 25th best class level. I don't know if that's really going to turn the tide totally for Chip Kelly at UCLA. I think, I think we're kind of on the same page there. We're just kind of speaking different languages. I, I I agree. I I don't think they'll ever have that. I don't think this staff has that recruiting energy in them to recruit at the highest level. But if UCLA is winning, I think they have the capability of recruiting top 25 classes. Now, then what happens is if you have good coaching, how can you optimize a consistent top 25 classes? I, I, we, we don't know that, really. We kind of don't. I mean, I would say when Mora recruited well, I, I would say the coaching didn't optimize his classes. Um, plus, I think he missed on a lot of guys, too. So I don't know. It would kind of be new territory. It's a really interesting, it's a really interesting kind of uh, what if. Do you really need to recruit at the highest level to win at the highest level? Or can you recruit top 25 level and, and win with superior coaching? Yeah, and it's, huh? it, it's kind of unanswerable at this point. Um, 
So what I would say to everyone out there, hey, we'll we'll worry about that stupid stuff, like what this is going to look like, like next year or the year after that, because that's sort of just what we do here. We're, we're sickos. You just watch some enjoyable football. The next couple of weeks should be fun. You know, that defense, tons of fun to watch. We love watching it. Just watch more of that. Enjoy it. UCLA should be pretty good. They should, you know, either play a very close game or beat both of these two teams the next two weeks. And that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. But I think people like everyone here, you know, you write a big, long, old preview of the ASU game. All you hear is previews of ASU. I think people want our our learned, <laughs> knowledgeable opinion on the bigger picture, too. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about the Arizona State game, literally, we can. Yeah, more that, um, you know, I mean, very clearly, the people who pay us to be sickos are themselves sickos at some level, right? Exactly. We're all a little yeah. bit sick in the head. Um, yeah. Because yeah. That's we're not... That's why we're all together. Like, we're not just in this to, like, watch games. We're in this to, like, just argue aggressively with each other about like what four years down the road is going to look like. Um, so that's fun. You know, we enjoy it. It's a way to pass the time. Um, so yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I I think recruiting could end up being very interesting. Um, I think we're heading into a, uh, kind of unprecedented time. Uh, I've read about this and, I've heard in, in talking to college coaches that I know, I've accumulated a few uh, acquaintances over the years, and talking to people like Brandon Huffman, who knows, you know, a ton of coaches. It seems like every program out there is saying, well, we're, we're, just, we're just looking at the transfer portal. <laughs> we are going to go heavy on the transfer portal, which... I get. I mean, especially with what's happening August 1st, where the NCAA passes a rule, you uh, underclassmen don't have to sit out one time to transfer. Um, and UCLA is in a different place when it comes, you know, to, to transfers, especially grad transfers, um, uh, more easily accepted into the uh, education grad program. So I understand that all these programs, but it, it's really interesting that um, – it says so much about college coaches that they're looking at that because, like I've said, these guys, the, the transfers generally in a course of grad transfers come more mature. They've grown up. They generally have to be decent students. You wouldn't be able to transfer unless you have decent academics. Um, and they're, they're all about more business-like than they are being shown a bunch of love in recruiting. So the coaches love it. It's it's quick. It's fast recruiting. It gets done easily. Uh, they're dealing with guys who are more mature, and they're you know plug and play. So it just. But when you look at it, how can all of all of these programs be emphasizing the transfer portal? Teams have to be putting players into the transfer portal also. So. So throw that in with what could be a, a crazy spring. Um, the 2021 recruiting class, the high school recruiting class, has literally had no opportunity to to uh, get in front of coaches, to get some you know exposure to coaches. 
it looks worse now. They extended the recruiting dead period to April 15th. Uh, you know, will there be a, a CIF high school football season in spring? Who knows at this point? Can't even make a guess. Will the NCAA allow college coaches to to view 2021 graduate graduating seniors like in spring in spring practice, which is usually <laughs> seniors usually aren't practicing in spring because they're you know they're done. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the 2021 class. And then also on top of it, coaches are really wary about how many of their players are going to take advantage of the added eligibility uh, rule. And they don't, I, really all the way around, the 2021, <laughs> the 2021 <laughs> recruiting class is kind of getting screwed all the way around. But coaches are worried about that, so they don't know if they want to necessarily load up because they think there might be some guys who want to stay in the program. I've heard there's kind of a trend, at least some college coaches are out there whispering that they aren't going to let some of their seniors come back. The guys who, you know, they, you know, they contributed to the program, but, you know, we love you, time for you to go. Um, that could happen also. So this spring, I think programs are going to be literally surprised every day at the players they lose to the transfer portal. Uh the players they start recruiting, some maybe high schoolers that emerge through some kind of exposure, uh, maybe exposure camps, the NCAA allows for those. It's going to be an unprecedented recruiting time this spring. It's going to be fun, actually. I mean, when you do this for a long time, you, you get kind of bored with the whole seasonal rhythm. This is going to be fun in spring. It's going to be wild and woolly, man. So... We shall, y'all out there should be prepared because UCLA absolutely is saying they are going to go deep into the transfer portal. Well, and UCLA has been so good with roster management, like truly at an expert <laughs> level under Chip Kelly, that I have no no actual concerns about them managing a weird and woolly situation. Weird and woolly. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's I. some things are going to happen this spring that – I could see some programs losing, I mean, let's be, what, 15, 20 guys, maybe? They're not going to pick up, will they be able to pick up 20 guys in the transfer portal? I mean, I really don't even know. But I, I could see programs losing that many guys. Yeah. <laughs> the transfer portal is going to be absolutely nuts, too. Um, okay, so there's that. Should we talk some basketball? Yes. Let's talk some UCLA basketball. Um, okay. So, Tracy, we came into the season with very high hopes. Um, and then uh, the first game, UCLA announced about, I don't know, an hour before the game that two starters, Jalen Hill and uh, Johnny Juzang, would be out. Uh, Hill with knee tendonitis, Juzang with a stress reaction in his foot, which kind of immediately, um, it was like a, you know, it was like the smell of a fart in the room I was in, you know, just like, oh, that's not so good. And then they lost to San Diego State, got their eh, butts kicked at San Diego State, would we say? 
Fair to uh, say? Yeah, you could say that, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and then re- rebounded uh, to an extent against Pepperdine, um, winning in triple OT in, oh, man, a game that I just deeply wanted to end by the time it was, I don't know, halfway through the first OT. Um, so, uh, obviously, some factors here. One, uh, Jalen Hill being out especially, I think, was a significant factor. I think a lot of people did not appreciate my boy perfectly there. Uh, Jalen Hill has always been my guy. Um, and he, uh, his, the lack of him on the defensive end, uh, the lack of what he actually does do offensively, which is rebound, um, I think was felt heavily against San Diego State and to a certain extent against Pepperdine. So getting him back is going to be critical. Johnny Juzang, you know, still a relatively unknown quantity, but he was more, le- more likely slated to start. Um, other than that, though, it does, I, I, I am getting a sense that they are in still kind of a feeling out period that they were at the beginning of last year. Like, even with those caveats, it doesn't feel like or look like a team that is picking up where it left off at the end of last year. No, I absolutely agree. And I, and I kind of asked, um, you know, like Jules Bernard, that question this week, and I kind of asked Mick and <laughs> did you, did you listen to that? Did you hear Mick's answer? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not buying it. <laughs> oh God. I, I was kind of giggling on mute for that answer. Um, but I, I do think they started off last year. Remember they started off, they were so scared to even take a shot. They were scared to even do anything but catch, uh, go to a, uh, a three, uh, a triple threat and then pass the ball. <laughs> that was about all they did. Um, and you, you kind of saw that again against it. It's almost like they were kind of afraid and maybe it's a byproduct of, of being coached by such a strong coach. Like by Mick Cronin is that you maybe until you get comfortable again, maybe you start out a little tentative, scared to make a mistake. Um, I, I think that makes sense. I think you could reasonably hope, meaning uh, I think it's not unreasonable to think that whole process of getting to where they're more comfortable will happen a lot faster. Um, I think we saw that from game one to game two already, even though I agree like you, I don't think they're there yet. Uh, but a lot of it too, I, I don't think we can under underestimate just the difference in the impact that Jalen Hill will have on the game too. So, you know, I, I and then I, I'm probably the thing I'm looking forward most to seeing, and it's kind of frustrating right now is Johnny Juzang in that lineup because they need some, they just flat out need some shooters. I I've watched a lot of college ba- basketball every day these last week and a half damn there are some shooters out there and i look at ucla's team and just say there is i mean of the guys playing there isn't one shooter there really isn't one shooter they need some shooters and you gotta hope that johnny juzang does that and it's in it's kind of indefinite on when he's going to come back that's something you don't want to really put you know push him back on something like that uh, when it's a stress, it's not even a stress fracture. It's a stress reaction, I guess, at this point. Um, but I'm still very excited about the basketball team for another reason. I've watched all the Pac-12. Well, most of it. Have you watched any Pac-12 games? A little bit, but not not 
not everybody yet. I watched SC Cal Baptist this morning. Wow. Overtime. Not impressed. Um, I watched Oregon. Not impressed. I like Stanford, actually. And I'm glad I said that going into the season. I like Stanford. Uh, just not not really greatly impressed um, with so uh, with the back 12 So I think if UCLA puts this together, even to the level where they were last year, throwing Juzang as an outside shooter... I still hold I still hold to our preseason that I think they have a very good chance of winning the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and I, I'm I'm not in any way pushing any kind of panic button. I think it's um, first way too early for that, and second, you know, there's a ton of mitigating factors. The one thing I would say at this point is I'm I, the the way. Jules Bernard was inserted into the starting lineup makes me think that there's been some, uh, I don't want to like denigrate any players. And I think Jules Bernard has a ton of value, but I think there's been some over-evaluation of him again for, I think the second straight year based off of whatever it is he's doing in practice. Um, I, I think from like a ball movement standpoint, from a running this offense standpoint, you would almost rather have each of, David Singleton or Jake Kyman in there. Um, I think Bernard can get his, he can create shots, but I think he does that at the expense of the offense a lot. Um, and I, right now the offense in particular, I mean, I think both, both ends don't look good. Um, I think defensively they started to get their energy up um, against Pepperdine, but offensively, I mean, it was still a struggle fest. Um, you really have to prioritize ball movers, guys who are actually going to pass it. Um, and, you know, move it consistently, not like take seven dribbles and then move it. Um, and I think that's much more Kyman and Singleton. And when you get them on the floor, you're also getting two of the better shooters. Um, Kyman obviously can be that shooter, that, that you know, knock down every shot guy. But Singleton's also pretty good. Um, he's got a funky little shot, but he does make it at about a 40% clip. Um, so that's one thing just off the bat watching these two games. Jake Kyman played 11 minutes in each game. Um, and Jules Bernard played, I think, 26 and then 35 in the Triple OT game, which he fouled out of. Otherwise, he probably would have been over 40 in that one, too. Um, I, I think there's just some some minutes allocation stuff that... And that was a, a, a bit of an issue at the beginning of last year when we saw, you know, it was Bernard to an extent, but also uh, Prince Ali just getting way too many minutes at the beginning of the year um, over some guys who, even early on, were clearly better options when they were in the game. So that's just one thing I would note now, um, you know, heading into Seattle tonight and so on and so forth, um, would like to see more minutes for Kaiman and or Singleton. Singleton's played, but more minutes for Kaiman, especially at the expense of Bernard. So we hate to necessarily second guess McCronin because first off, it's early on in the season. But like I said, maybe how the team needs to settle in at the beginning of the season, maybe Coach Cronin needs to um, go through a process of where the same process that he went through last year, where he finally arrived upon David Singleton and Jake Kyman. Uh, you got to admit and that Jules Bernard is could – could tease you into i mean he's big he's athletic he's he can a good create, defender he can create a shot it's just it's yeah it's not often a great shot but he can right. he, like it's sort of he's a much better player than prince ali so i don't want to compare the two but it's the same sort of problem that we had at the beginning of last year 
Prince Ali can create shots, and so I think that's what kind of drew McCronin in. And also, in theory, he should be a pretty good defender. Um, but then in practice, uh, the basketball IQ wasn't really there to be a great defender. And then on the offensive end, he was often creating shots because, again, that same basketball IQ problem wasn't creating good shots. I think Jules Bernard is an infinitely better player than Prince Ali, but it's the same two issues. Athletically, yeah. s- strength-wise, athletically, the whole thing, the whole package is there to be a good defender. But I don't think he's a particularly good team defender. And then on the offensive end, he can create shots. He can get in there and 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 create contact and try to make a layup or whatever. Or he can you know take two strong dribbles and have a pull-up instead of the open three-pointer. But are these good shots he's creating? Um, and that's where I think it's, you know, you get drawn in by, and this is something that I think happens and it's totally natural and it makes sense, but it happens with coaches because you watch them in practice a ton, right? You watch them do these things in practice. And so you're like, okay, that's my guy because he's doing all this great stuff that I like in practice. And then in games, it just kind of falls apart because it's five on five and it's, you know, full live stuff. That's a good point. And between Singleton and Bernard, it's a real, to determine that, David Singleton is better for your team. It's it's a real, it's a real subtle factor. I mean, you'd literally have to just look at everything that probably isn't a stat besides three point shooting percentage. You know, it'd you be know, like just, stuff like just literally who, who how makes much the better third the pass. You know, <laughs> right? How much better the team is when David Singleton is on the court, and yeah. that's 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 not a direct thing where you just read a stat sheet of how they're doing in practice. Um, yeah. It's not even eyeballing them because Jules Bernard, if you're eyeballing him, looks better. Well, and the there's thing is, that. And then on top, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm go going to move on to Jake Kyman. Yeah. Um, there's, it's similar to Jake Kyman. Not only the shooting, but you've, you've kind of got to get over that hump of, of thinking he's a defensive liability and there's no place for him to fit in. And you, you need to get him fit in. I, I mean, that was last year. He was just playing. He was coming in, you know, for his for his handful of minutes. Then he lit up Washington, right? Yeah. And that's where they said, "Oh crap, we really got to get this guy involved." I think somehow you got to come to this realization on both of these guys that this team is better with them getting more minutes. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see when when that actually happens. And I would say Singleton got his minutes. Um, You know, he got 26 in the opener, and then I think he played – he ended up playing more than Bernard in the triple overtime, but that was more because Bernard fouled out. But Singleton played. The real issue is Kaiman. I think with Kaiman, to your point, I I don't think he's going to be the man-on-man defender that Bernard is ever. But I will say I I saw improvement there, and frankly he was better than I would have ever predicted he would be last year. Um, You know, kind of using – more wiles and intelligence than, you know, any significant, like, lateral quickness or whatever. Um, but as a team defender, as a basketball IQ guy, uh, already better. Um, and that's the kind of stuff where I think it's just, it's maybe hard to judge that stuff perfectly in practice. Um, but I don't see I don't see enough difference in ability there, enough difference. Even if you say Bernard's a little bit ahead of Kaiman, I don't know if there's enough difference there to make it a... 26 versus 11 or 35 versus 11 minute split in the first two games. The thing with Jake too, um, when, when he, you know, started getting more time, uh, 
he was kind of a surprise last year. Now, now opposing teams know about him. And watching him in the first two games, he he did struggle to get some space. Um, and he's not necessarily really good at that. And then the coaching staff has to work harder to get him, yeah, to get him up. Um, so it's it's both of those things. And he'll benefit from get, Hill being back for sure because Hill actually he sets will. screens from him for him. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just more presence down low will open up the outside. So, but this will be, I'm really looking forward to watching this game because I think they're, what did I say? The first game against San Diego State was circa uh, November 2019. And then Pepperdine was, I think, January 2020. So maybe they, maybe, (laughs) maybe tonight is, you know, late February. Yeah, 20, it would 20, be nice so. to get late February. I think everyone could use that shot in the arm. Um, yeah. So that'll be good. Um, uh, I mean, positive notes, I think Cody Riley has been, um, you know, not necessarily converting everything, but I think he has. Do you remember last year when Cody Riley at the beginning of the year was just taking those rainbow jumpers just constantly from the top of the key? I remember. And, and missing almost all of them. And it was just like, what are you doing? That's not your game. And he hasn't taken a single one this year. It's beautiful. Yeah. He's just yeah. plopping down on the low post, and he is either converting or getting fouled almost every time. It's, you know, I would love for him to shoot fouls uh, a little bit better, but, you know, whatever. He, I think he's been he's been a bright spot, um, especially given that he's having to do it basically solo. Um, other than that, and this is maybe a good point, is nobody's played particularly well. Tiger Campbell hasn't yeah. been as good as he was in February. I think a lot of people on our board are going way overboard on Tiger Campbell and him not being like a Pac-12 level player. Um, that seems to be a common thread right now. Uh, in February last year, he was creating shots pretty much constantly for other guys. Oh my! Um, he was he was the entire thing that drove that offense. And he I truly I, was. And I don't know if you could potentially recruit over him for sure, um, but. Is he what would hold this team back from potentially being like a very good or elite team? I don't think so. Um, but Jaime Jaquez has not been, I think, the same exact player he was at the end of last year. He looks, I think, to your point, a little thicker, a little slower. Um, and, but it just, I, I would say some of those kind of, um, you know, the, those elite, like gritty qualities are still there. We just haven't seen them as much, I would say, this year. I think. His rebounding against Pepperdine was very good, but I don't think he's been... These are not two of his best games for sure. Um, And Chris Smith's been, you know, kind of his usual enigmatic self, um, but hasn't had, like, those elite games where he takes over. So no one's played particularly well. They're one-on-one, and I would say, legitimately, this isn't me being Ben Howland and saying there's no doubt in my mind that that is an NC2A tournament team. Um, wow, but, that was really that was the best Howland you've ever done. I, I tried. Seriously, I really like um, it. Okay, but uh, San Diego State and Pepperdine are both good. Like, I think yeah. they're both legitimately good. Pepperdine has two players who I think could play at UCLA. Um, so, you know, they're one and one. It's not ideal. Um, they shouldn't have gotten smoked by San Diego State the way they did. Um, but. With Jalen Hill coming back, Johnny Juzang hopefully coming back at some point. Um, you know, there's a light here, and, and if they can just see some 
guys, essentially guys who played well last year play better this year. You know, Hawkes, Campbell, Smith. Um, you know, I think things will start to turn a little bit. A couple of things before we move on to basketball recruiting. Um, what's really interesting about Chris Smith is, I mean, if you're going to be critical of Chris Smith, you would say, like I've written, he just doesn't necessarily have that badass in him, which makes him less consistent. He'll disappear for, for periods of the game. And when you interview him, he literally says that about himself. Oh, he's very <laughs> he's he's really introspective. Like wow, his his self amazing. his self knowledge is but that can also be something that affects you if you're like somebody who plays sports, like it helps to not have a ton of introspection because you're not you're constantly kind of overthinking or underthinking or thinking too much about different things that are going on and not just like playing. Like you know, Chris Smith, he's kind of an introspective guy, and he's always been that way. Yeah. He's very yeah. self-critical. He'll say these things about himself that no other athlete you ever hear says that stuff. Might be because Mick Cronin is telling him so often. <laughs> side note, side note. Do you remember Do you remember Rodney Van, the cornerback? Yeah. yeah Rodney Van was great at this, too. He, he, he And it, uh, far inferior in his play that, to, compared to what Chris Smith is. But I remember Rodney Van would be very introspective and talk about all these things. And then... It got to a point where he literally removed himself from a game one time because he couldn't execute what the coaches wanted him to do. And he was like, all right, somebody's got to play for me because I can't do this. And it was just like, <laughs> I've never seen that, that before or since. And I'm like, that took a level of like self-knowledge and all that stuff. But like how much self-doubt there? Like just, he might and that's not future... something you ever see from like an athlete at a high level. I think that kind of self-awareness He'll probably be very successful in life, but probably not in football. No, no, <laughs> yeah, you, well, or in athletics generally, <laughs> or because athletics. all of these guys have, you know, incredible self-confidence about how good you are. I right. mean, that's what all—that's the most consistent thing among among athletes right. and yeah. coaches. In the, the back of thing, Chris Smith's mind, whenever he starts dribbling, you can he, you can hear him somebody saying, in the back of his mind, "Can I really take this guy off the dribble? Can I?" I you know what? I actually think in Chris Smith's. Um, uh, for him, I think it's better because I think if he didn't have the little voice in him saying, I got to assert myself, I got to be, I think he would just slip into a lull of kind of non-existence disappearance most of the time. So I think in his case, it works. Yeah. Second thing I wanted to say about, about the team before we move on to recruiting, that Pepperdine game, That was an amazing game. I mean, and it was it was so amazing not only because of some of the heroics, but because of the anti-heroics. I mean, Jaime Yaquez epitomized it, right? I mean, he goes to the line to win the game. He he misses two, but he gets his own rebound, <laughs> then misses one again, but then hits the. I mean, the fact that he got the rebound. That's how that that one exchange where. Let's see, uh, uh, UCLA was ahead, Pepperdine, and it looks like they're going to win. Pepperdine scores, but now UCLA has the ball out. They throw it the length of the court. It goes out without – so now Pe- I just – the way that game went back and forth was really phenomenal. I don't remember a game going back and forth like that, not on like hero plays, but on – basically screw ups. <laughs> well, that's the thing is it was a, it was it was a, a very competitive just absolute slop fest. 
Like, it was yeah. very, very competitive, but it was like both teams just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again for yeah. way too long. Way too long. And the Pac-12 refs, I don't think, or whoever was ref in the game, don't think it helped. There were a couple of stoppages that just seemed to take forever. Um, but, man, that was three hours of basketball. That's yeah. That's about a half hour too much for me. And, um, and every time I wrote down, because I was, I was going to write the review, I'd go, oh, that's the decisive play of the game. And then literally 30 seconds later, oh, that one trumped that one. And then I go on, and it just kept going. Yeah. Like, remember the one call that it looked like it was off a Pepperdine guy, and that was a big call at the time? I wrote that down. Wow, that's a bad call. That could literally come close to deciding the game. By the time I wrote the review, I even, you know, that thing was 20 other plays deep. <laughs> yeah, that's the, but that's a generally tough thing with basketball because. There's a lot of things, especially in close games, that you could pick out and uh, just taking people behind the curtain. Then when you're writing about it and like trying to say, oh, well, in context, how big was that? It was like 15 minutes before the end of the game. Could that have really been that big? And it's just like – and sometimes you forget because, you know, that's just who yeah. we are. Um, yeah. One thing I'll note on Chris Smith and one thing that we got to yeah. keep in mind um, yes. is we're talking about him and we're like, yeah, he's kind of enigmatic or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's just two games. And one of them was a triple overtime game where he had to play like 50 minutes. Uh, he's averaging five more points a game than last year. He's hitting, uh, 90% of his free throws so far and 57% of his three pointers. He's averaging a full three more assists, um, and about half a rebound more than last year. So, um, that's all good stuff. Yeah. He's, he's playing fine. Maybe we're just expecting a little bit more. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, uh, we might be expecting things that he isn't. I, 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 I just keep using this because this is the most immediate reference. Aaron Holiday, when he grew into that junior year, what oh, he yeah. did, what he evolved into, that's kind of what you want your player, your, your best player to evolve into, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I don't an know if Chris dude. Smith... We'll be able to be such a badass like that, but maybe doing. I mean, so far he's he's averaging eighteen points a game, right? Something like that. Yeah, so, eighteen exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Um, um, recruiting. Recruiting. You still got. Uh, you know, this is funny, and I'm not going to say that I knew this was going to happen because I didn't. I had no idea it would happen this quickly. But remember, everyone on the board was saying, "Wow, Mac Etienne isn't even mentioning UCLA," and I'd say. No, UCLA is among the favorites because I'd been hearing enough that they were. Um, just if there was ever kind of a a perfect get <laughs> at a time when you needed that exact uh, commitment, that could have been it. Um, UCLA, uh, we all knew they needed a post player, right? Um, because Jalen Hill, from what I'm hearing, is going to leave after this year. Cody Riley could too. They, you just generally need post players. But then we watched those last two games without Jalen Hill. <laughs> I don't know if UCLA maybe took a picture of their team on the court and when Jaime Yaquez was, was having to defend the, <laughs> the opposing center and they wrote a big like circle and said, what's missing? And they sent that to Mac Etienne. But I know UCLA was consistently doing well with him. Uh, getting him was was really a huge thing. It I wrote that story, I think it was yesterday, changes the entire outlook. It's, it's one of those things that 
creates a, almost a sea change when you look at the personnel now. Um, more than likely, if Chris Smith is going to leave, I, I'm you know you got to be certain of that. As I said, I think Jalen Hill will. That will give UCLA one more scholarship. They've got their big. Now they need a maybe. Like I said, a scoring point guard would be would be really would be really great, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, go get that guy from Pepperdine. You know, it's funny you should say that. Couldn't you just see that guy maybe doing like a grad transfer? Ah, oh, that would be so thing? good. Yeah, no, it's just and it's it's same city. You don't have to move. Just come on, come on over. Yeah, I no. mean he's going to have one more year of eligibility, and let's. I mean, I don't think I'm really saying anything bad about uh, the guy. Um, he's not a pro player. I don't think I don't think he's a pro, but but I just saw him a, light up a Pac-12 level team. Yeah, devastatingly good college player. Yeah, um, come on over, big guy. <laughs> yeah. That would be um, fun. Yeah, but then, like we said with football, spring is going to be spring recruiting is going to be crazy. Um, basketball might actually have like an evaluation weekend, you know, after the rec- dead period's over. Uh, and like with football, the, the transfer portal is going to be absolutely nuts. The way UCLA stands right now, they, they lose one more. Let's say Jalen Hill goes, maybe they lose one more. Ideally, you'd love to see like that point guard and then maybe another big, they, the wings, you know, UCLA is like a wing stop. There's so many damn wings oh, on this wow. roster. I know Oof. that was bad, right? Oof. That's kind of funny, though. I, I, ooh, ooh, yeah. Should we redo this entire no, no. podcast? Yeah, maybe. All right, we're 57 really minutes bad. in. Can we just... I want to redo let's it, Let's roll it back. So, let's roll it back. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to admit, that was not my original joke. Someone else told it to me, and I'm not even going to tell you who it was. So it's his fault. I blame him. Um, I blame him. Anyway just a completely different perspective now. And Mac Eddie and I, I, I mean, I really, I've never seen a guy. I actually did see him in person, but I wasn't paying that much attention because it was like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Uh, I didn't know you said I was recruiting him at the time. He was at, he was out at a, uh, the thing down our boy, Pangos. Dino Trigonis. Pangos. Oh my God. You, you would think I'd have Pangos burned into my brain. I actually spaced on it. But I really like him. Long, athletic, good hands. Not good enough to go pro after a year or two, but good enough to be a pro. And just a good frame. You know, weighs 220 now. Will end up 245. Has the inkling of a of a offensive game. Um, just plays hard. Smart kid. Wow, couldn't couldn't even think about a, a better salve right now for UCLA sports fanship than that commitment. Um, so yeah, and if I mean, there's a story I don't even know if we, we haven't published it yet. Uh, one of the national guys on twenty four seven speculates that Mac Etienne is impressing so many people right now that he actually could be in line for a fourth star. And fifth, he actually moved up fifth, to... Fifth, fifth star. Sorry, fifth star. And um, that he moved up... He already he moved up to 31 national in this last reworking update. So, just all around great. One little asterisk. Signing day was, remember, about a month ago. So, 
now they've got to hold on to this guy until April. I, I have no, I'm not saying there's any kind of inkling that they'll lose him, but he won't be able to visit campus, at least officially. So there is some recruiting still to be done on him, but overall just a great development for UCLA basketball. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how UCLA approaches next year's recruiting and who ends up transferring out or leaving um, because there's going to be, you know, a lot of movement there. But we'll talk. We'll probably talk extensively about that um, later on in the season and after the season. So we don't need to delve too deeply into that right now. Um, But it's going to be a wild and crazy year in both football and basketball roster management next year. Yes. Yes, but entertaining as hell. Oh, it's so going to be a that, ton of fun. ton of fun. That's why you need to keep coming back to Bruin, to Bruin Report. Report Online. Bruin yeah. Report Online, where you'll find out all the details. Um, Many of you don't know, but I wrote and produced, well, mostly wrote, the show American Top 40 with Casey Kasem and Shadow Stevens. So I can do my – I've got both voices. I can do, I can do Casey and I can do Shadow. That's Do y'all great. remember Shadow from the Federated commercials? I don't. That, that might be that might be too old for you, but you know Casey Kasem. Of course, right? I know Casey Kasem. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I wrote for that show. That's amazing. For two years in my late twenties. So there you go. So I, I can always do that uh, that announcer voice. Yeah, got to have it. Anyway, got to have it in your back pocket. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm ready to. I'm ready to throw it out. All right. That's pretty good, Dave. That's pretty good, but I really want to redo this entire. I want yeah, to yeah, get no, rid we'll, of that, we'll, we'll that run horrible it back. dad. We'll run it can, back. Can we just? Are you going to take out the dad joke? No, 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 please? absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, I'm going to highlight okay. it. I'm just <laughs> okay, going to raise Dave. the volume on that part. All right. Well, Tracy, that's it for me. I've got nothing else. I'm sapped. Nothing. Spent. Yes. Um, well, for Tracy Pearson, I. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. You know what? One more thing. I want to send out our deepest condolences and well wishes to Mike Regalado uh, on the passing of his mom. That just happened, uh, well, yesterday. So everyone keep him in your thoughts. Absolutely. Best wishes to Mike. Uh, Very tough time to go through. All right. Well... We'll talk to you again next time, everyone. Everyone, be safe out there.